If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to go ahead and open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, if you want to be ahead of the game, you can keep your finger there in Ephesians 4, which is where we're going to spend some time. And also, stick maybe your bulletin or a piece of paper or something in Acts chapter 2, because we're going to spend a little bit of time here in a few minutes there in Acts chapter 2. But uh, as we're looking at this, we're beginning a series this week we've been talking about for a few weeks. We actually changed the name after we printed the, uh, the, the calendars that we talked about, so it's not back to the basics. We're calling this series, Where Are We Going? Um, How many of you have ever had an experience like this? Uh, I have two daughters that are now in um, high school and middle school. And so I have the privilege, because of the way my schedule works, of taking my daughters to school. And we usually start off by taking Emma to the middle school and then drive back and go up and take Sarah to the high school. So the other morning, we were sitting there, and we had taken Emma to school, and we had dropped her off. And as we were driving, I was talking with Sarah. I don't even remember about what. Uh, But as we were getting closer to the high school, Sarah all of a sudden goes, Dad, where are we going? Because, see, I had gotten on autopilot, and I had hung a right and was taking us back to our house. You guys ever had that experience? You get driving, and you just kind of get on autopilot, and all of a sudden, you look up and go, wait a minute where are we going? Now, sometimes it can be something minor like turning to go to the house instead of going to the high school, adding a couple of minutes onto the trip, which was no problem because uh, we like to be ridiculously early in our family, so she still had plenty of time before the tardy bell. And so, you know, it wasn't a big deal. There are other times when it becomes an issue, though. There's actually a, a, a thing that, that's called highway hypnosis. Anybody ever done a long road trip where they actually say you kind of almost get hypnotized in that trance-like state of just watching that white dot go zoom, 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 zoom. And before you look up, you realize you've been driving for like three hours and have no idea what's going on. Like you can't remember a single thing that's happened for like the last three or four hours. One of the worst experiences I had with this was actually when I was in elementary school. Now, uh, this was in the before times for those of you who are younger than about 30. Um, We didn't have cell phones back then. And we had taken a school trip to Virginia Beach. And if you know about the road from here to Virginia Beach, it's not really that difficult. You pretty much just go up 81, you grab 64, you go south and you get to, or kind of keep going east and go south a little bit when you get to Richmond, right? Not that hard. Well, here was the problem. This trip was one that was kind of an after-school thing, so moms had driven us. It wasn't the school bus. And I didn't know what we were doing. I was asleep in the back seat. But the lady that was driving the car zoned out a little bit. And when it came up to the 64 interchange with 81 on the way back from Virginia Beach, she went north. Now, this is in the days before cell phones. I was asleep in the back seat. I remember waking up for us pulling over at a gas station and seeing her use a payphone, right? She wasn't even arranging a ransom drop. That's, that's like the only reason you would use a payphone anymore. No, she had to pull over and use a payphone to call the state police because she had gone north for over an hour and we were in Woodstock, Virginia. Now, here's what had happened. All of the other moms had gone south like they were supposed to. So now my parents are sitting at the school waiting for us. And our car is the only one that hasn't come. So the lady calls the emergency uh, folks. She calls the state police. So a little bit later, while my parents are sitting there over an hour after we should have been there, a state trooper rolls up into the parking lot. Now, as a parent, what's your immediate thought? Now, thankfully, it was okay news. It was just they're going to be a couple hours late because they went an hour in the wrong direction. But the panic that my parents had to go through because this lady zoned out. Now, again, we've all done it. 
see, when we get in the habit of doing something and we zone out, we got to be really careful because if we're not paying attention, we'll lose sight of where we're trying to go. Now, can I just go ahead and submit to us as a church? We don't just do this while we're driving. We may do this as a church as well. How many of you have grown up in church? If you would, just raise your hand for me. How many of you have grown up in church? Okay. Some of you, you haven't grown up in church, but you may have spent most of your life, by the way, if you haven't grown up in church and you're still trying to figure out what this whole Jesus thing is about, man, we are so glad you are here. You're gonna hear today about what we're about, what we believe God's calling us to be and to do. And so, so if, if this is all new to you, we're gonna use some terms today that may be unfamiliar to you. Please come back because we're gonna spend the next 12 weeks explaining what a lot of this means. So please come back because we want you to hear about it. But, but for those of us who've grown up in church, I, I mean, I started going to church when I was nine years old. I'll be 40 in uh, January, right? So I've spent most of my life just doing church. Almost every Sunday for the last 30 years, I've been in a church somewhere. And it's really easy for us just to go through the motions and just do church because it's just what we do. So here's what we're going to be doing over the next 13 weeks. We're going to be taking some time, 13 weeks if you count today. All right, so there you go. Um, 13 weeks if we count today, we are going to take some time to really dig in and look at where we are going as a church. Where is God calling us to go? What is God calling us to be as a church? What what does the Bible teach us that a church is supposed to do and supposed to be? I want to kind of wake us up a little bit from that autopilot that maybe some of us or most of us have fallen into. So we're starting this morning by looking at Ephesians 4 to get a a kind of an overview picture of God's destination for the church, what his end goal is for us as a people, okay? Now, from there, by the way, we're going to do a lot of different things this morning. You know, I usually like to just camp out in one part of the Bible and really just spend some time talking at that, but but we're going to kind of go over a lot of stuff this morning. So what we're going to do is we're going to start in Ephesians 4 and look at kind of a broad overview of what that picture looks like. Then we're going to go over to Acts chapter 2 and see how the early church was fulfilling that picture. From there, we're going to talk about the assessment that we took back in the spring about what you as a church said about where we are as a group of people. And then we're going to talk a little bit about moving forward from there, okay? That's kind of where we're headed this morning. That's where we're going in this message about where we're going, okay? So dive in with me and look here in Ephesians chapter four. We're picking up in the middle of an argument that Paul's making about how there should be unity in the church in spite of the diversity of people that God puts in it. In fact, that's been a lot of Ephesians 3. He's continuing that on into chapter 4. And here in chapter 4, where we're picking up, uh, he's been talking about the grace that's been given to us because of Jesus's gift of salvation through his death, burial, and resurrection. That's how we are saved. That's how we come into a relationship with God is because Jesus died on the cross and was buried and rose three days later and now draws us to himself. And we commit our lives to following him, to turn from sin, to trusting in him. And that saving faith is what he uses to draw us to himself. Okay, so now with that in mind, then he's talking about Jesus here in verse 11, which is where we're going to pick up. Like I said, we're kind of in the middle of a thought, but it's the best place for us to start. Let's go ahead and read down through verse 16, and then we'll come back and we'll make some observations about it. And he himself, talking about Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ 
until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we'll no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Now there's like six sermons running around in that passage, okay? This is a really rich text. But for our purposes this morning of trying to grab kind of a a broad overview of what God's calling us to be as a church, I wanna break it down into kind of three phrases that we'll go through a little bit at a time here. As you're diving into verse 11, you'll notice that God has given church leaders to the church for a very specific purpose, okay? Church leaders are gifted by God to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Now, real quick, depending on your theological background, you may have seen that that word saint and immediately thought, oh, those are those super spiritual people that we look up to. Those are the ones that that we pray to or, or those kind of things, depending on your theological background. That's actually not how the Bible uses the word saint. Okay, a saint is anyone who has been saved by Jesus because that word saint there is literally holy one. And because of what Jesus has done on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection, when he draws you to himself, he declares you righteous because of who he is. So if you today are a follower of Jesus, you are a saint. So this is not talking about equipping some super spiritual class of people to do the work of the ministry. No, rather what he's saying is that God's design is for church leaders to equip all of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Now, some of those leaders like the apostles and prophets were offices that God gave to the church in the early days to get it started and get it rolling. And we don't see those offices functioning in the same way that they did back then. I'm not an apostle. Um, and I don't believe that the, the office of apostle exists anymore. We can have a great discussion over coffee or lunch sometime if you've got a question about that. Uh, in the same kind of way, prophet functions a little bit differently now that we have the completed New Testament. Um, but you, you see evangelists, uh, you, you think about a traveling evangelist like Daniel's dad, Jimmy, who goes around and preaches the gospel. You can also think of, of folks that are serving the Lord in missions like Ryan and Kelly Day that you got to meet last year. Uh, Ryan and Kelly are missionaries to Japan. They are taking the gospel and sharing the gospel in places that, that Jesus has not been named or where there's still work to be done. So you think about missionaries around the world as the evangelists. Then you notice that it says pastors and teachers. Now, this is not a situation uh, for you grammar nerds. This is not a situation where they didn't use the Oxford comma. Because if you'll notice, there's no comma between pastors and teachers, okay? Uh, We use the Oxford comma around here for those of you who care stylistically. Most of you don't, but some of you know what I'm talking about, all right? As you look at that, the reason there's no comma there is because pastors and teachers is referring to the same office. Now that takes us back to what we saw a few weeks ago in 1 Peter chapter five. The the folks that God's called to to lead the church are pastor, teacher, shepherd, bishop, overseer, all those kind of words that we talked about. That's this office that I have the privilege of serving in. So my job is to shepherd, to lead, to protect the flock, as well as to teach the flock. Now, again, the goal of that is so that not that I'll do all the work of the ministry, The goal of this is that the church would be equipped to do the ministry, okay? 
So going back to the big question for today, where are we going? Well, God's destination for the church in part is that I equip you to do the work God has called you to do so that we build up his body together. We're gonna talk more about unique giftings when we get into the section where we talk about ministry several weeks from now. But for this morning, I want you to see that part of God's goal for us is first to be an equipped body of believers, okay? An equipped body of believers. So now as we do this, they, that first part is this equipping. That, that means that part of my role is to train you to be able to do what God's called you to do, to equip you to be able to do that. There are a few things that I love more, by the way, than finding somebody who has a unique gifting and a passion to do something and letting them go and letting them just run with it and, and dive in and just live where God's put them and do exactly what they're called to do. It is so much fun to watch people operate in their gifting. But now notice that the equipping that God gives us is not so we can just go off and do our own thing. Look back at verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. You see, throughout this passage, you see that Paul's emphasizing that we are to grow more and more united. Now, looking around the room, we're very different people. We've got different ages in here. We've got different backgrounds, different things you like, different socioeconomic standings, different experiences, different places you grew up. There is diversity within this church family. So what does unity look like? Does that mean that we're going to start handing out uniforms at the door and, you know, guys, you got to wear khakis and a blue polo. Ladies, it's got to be a, no, 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 no. That's not what unity is. In fact, he tells us what our unity is here. The unity that we're to have is to rally around the faith and the knowledge of God's Son. That's what unity is for us. It's not dressing the same. It's not liking the same stuff. It's not going the same places and doing all the same things. It's not even always agreeing on everything at church. Rather, the unity that he's calling us to is to be unified around Jesus to be unified around Jesus. Now, the, the, he says here that the faith that he's referring to is referring to those key truths that we believe. That would be stuff like the truths that we believe there's a God in heaven who created us to have a relationship with him. We chose to rebel against him, yet he loved us so much that he would send his son to die on the cross to take our punishment and rise from the dead to offer us new life. Now he's in charge of everything and we're submitting ourselves to him together and we're trusting him alone for eternal life and to be right with God. We may disagree at times on how that's supposed to play out or on the specifics of what different nuances of doctrine and teaching are, but this is what we unify around, the central truth of the faith and the knowledge of God's Son. Now, it's interesting that knowledge of God's Son is not just talking about head knowledge. This letter was originally written in Greek, and the, in Greek, there were multiple words that they used for knowledge. In fact, we talked about this Wednesday night during prayer meeting. There, there's a, one that basically means I know a lot of facts and would do really good on Jeopardy. But there's another kind of knowledge, and that's what this one is talking about, that is a firsthand relational kind of knowledge. I don't just know facts about Jesus. I actually know Jesus. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, my wife and I have been married for a little over 16 years, and I can look across the room. Now, she has a very expressive face, so sometimes it's not hard. But I can look across the room and know what she's thinking. Why? Because I know her. I've spent a lot of time with this beautiful lady, and I hope to spend a lot more. Although I will say that when Mike said that uh, the queen and the prince Philip were married for 70 years, she looked over at me and said, I sure hope not. <laughs> so... 
Take that for what you will. Uh, I think it means that we, neither of us want to live that long. I think that's what that's talking about, but eh, we'll have a discussion later. Probably good we're not having the picnic. Um, we need to be unified around the knowledge that we have of Jesus. That means I don't just know facts about the Bible. I haven't just like memorized Grudem's systematic theology, but I actually know Jesus. I kind of know what he'd be thinking. See, Romans 12 talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit transforms the way that we think. So knowing Jesus isn't just about facts. It's not just about me coming in here and downloading information to you. It's, It's about living with Jesus and honoring him. And what What the goal is, is that you and I would be a body of believers who've been equipped to serve him, but that we're united around Jesus, around the faith that we share in him, around the knowledge that we have developed in him, that that Jesus would be the center of everything that we say, everything that we do, everything that we are. Now, where are we going? Well, we believe that God's calling us to become an equipped body of believers who are united around Jesus, okay? Now, uh, again, that's not just for me. That's not just for the other church leaders. Look at how often he says things like all, right? Look at verse 13, until we all reach unity. Then we go down to verse 16 from him, the whole body. Uh, We go back up in verse 15, it talks about growing in every way. The growth of the body down in verse 16, for building up itself in love, for the proper working of each individual part. So what that's telling me is this is not just my goal or God's goal for me as a pastor. This is the goal that God has for every single person that he has put a part of this church family, for you to be able to be equipped to serve God and united around Jesus, okay? Now, some of you are sitting there saying, Sean, we know all this. Maybe we do, but maybe we're on autopilot. Maybe we're forgetting what this actually means. See, we need to be united around Jesus. The whole body, each individual part contributing. Not just a head knowledge, but it works itself out in the way that we work together and build up the body. Now, that's not all, though. We're equipped, we're united, but to do what? Go back again to verse 13. Last part there, he says that we're to be growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. That's a huge statement. God's end goal for this church is for us to live and look like Jesus. Now, here's where we got to be careful. We are fortunate to live in a community that has a lot of churches and a lot of churches out there who are preaching the gospel in a great way. Now, in any community, some churches are stronger than others. Some churches are staying closer to biblical fidelity than others. But we can't sit back and say, well, you know, at least we're doing better than so-and-so, right? We may not be a perfect church, but, but hey, at least our, our music's better than that place, or at least our teaching's better than that place, or at least, you know, at least we're not fighting like those folks. That's not the standard. The standard is not other churches. The standard is Jesus That's God's goal. He says that we're to be growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So how do we know when we get there? 
How do we know when we've arrived as a church? Because every single person who's a part of this church family lives like Jesus and leads others to do the same. That's when we've arrived. Think we'll get there? I don't know. We'll die trying. For every person who comes into contact with anybody who knows here, anybody who knows anybody who knows anybody who goes to this church, would hear the gospel would come to know who Jesus is. They would see a group of people who are living like Jesus and desiring to lead others to do the same. Because you see, here's God's goal. Verse 15, we see that maturity in Christ involves the way that we say or what we say in every single aspect of of who we are, how we think, how we spend our time, what we do and what we don't do. We're growing to look and live more like Jesus. So what's God's goal for us as a church? Where are we heading? The goal would be for us to be an equipped body of believers who are united around Jesus, who are growing to live more like him. That's quite a goal. That's quite a challenge. But now if we're honest, what does that mean? Right? When we say grow to live like Jesus, what is living like Jesus actually look like? That's what we're going to spend the next 12 weeks talking about. But let's get a little taste of that, a little picture of that. There's, there's more that could be said about this passage for sure, but here's where we are going to kind of focus as a church. This is a phrase that you're going to be hearing a lot more often, and that is this. We want to be known as a church who lives like Jesus and leads others to do the same. We want to be known as a church who lives like Jesus and leads others to do the same. Now, what's that mean? What's that look like? That's where we go over to Acts chapter two. So flip over to Acts chapter two this morning as we're gonna pick up the early church. Here's a quick snapshot of right after the church got started, they were doing an amazing job of honoring God this way. They were doing what they needed to do. They were crushing it, right? So what is it that we need to do to be able to, to kind of look like that? What would this look like if we as a church were living like Jesus and leading others to do the same? Well, part of that is what we see here in this passage. Acts chapter two, we're gonna start in verse 42. This is right when the church is getting rolling. And it says this, they, this is the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now, all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. That's what it looks like for a church to live like Jesus and lead others to do the same. Now, a lot of folks have studied this passage for a lot of different reasons. Uh, One of the the ways that we're going to kind of look at it is the way that Dr. Chuck Lawless has articulated it. Dr. Lawless is one of my professors for school, uh, and he has also one of the men who helped develop the assessment that we gave to the church back in the spring. So, As he looks at this passage, he has articulated for us six different major purposes for the church 
that you see out of this passage. If you're familiar with other folks like uh, Rick Warren and Saddleback Church and the Purpose Driven Church, um, that he articulated it in five different ways. Most do five. But one of the things I appreciate about Dr. Lawless is the sixth one that he breaks out that most don't. So uh, Alex, if you could go ahead and put those up for us. Here's the six purposes that we find out of this passage. Now, again, we could preach entire series just on this passage right here. In fact, that's basically what we're going to be doing. These are the six purposes that we're going to be working through in the weeks to come. We're going to take one purpose and spend two weeks on that purpose as we move forward. Okay? The first purpose is to exalt God in worship. We're going to talk more about that. That's not just singing, but that is a part of it. Number two, we're going to seek to evangelize the word. Now, all of these start with E. They're terms that I would probably use a little differently if I was writing it from scratch because this is very churchy language. So if you're not familiar with what these things mean, like I said, we're gonna take the rest of the fall to discuss what this looks like, okay? So evangelize the world means sharing the gospel here locally, participating and sharing the gospel in our region, in the country, in the world, wherever God calls us to go. Number three, equipping the saints through discipleship. That ought to sound awful familiar because we just talked about it. Discipleship is that process of following Jesus and growing to look more like him. So what does that look like? How do we equip the saints that way? Edify others through ministry and service. Edifying others is the idea of building them up by using the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God's given you uh, to edify others through ministry and service. Then we're going to encounter God through prayer. That's the one that lawless breaks out that most don't. See, most only put five in this passage, but Dr. Lawless, I think, rightly differentiates it and says one of the main purposes of the church is to engage in prayer. And so that's one of the things we're going to be looking at this fall. The number six, to encourage one another through fellowship, which is more than just hanging out with each other. We'll talk about that as we get closer, okay? Now, this is what it's going to look like for us as believers. These are kind of the pillars and the purposes uh, that God's given us as a church to be able to live out and fulfill, to be able to grow into that maturity of Christ-likeness. You say, well, Sean, there's nothing in there specifically about giving. There's nothing in there specifically about this. That's true. But most everything that you can think of falls under one of these six categories. And, and if not, if we were to accomplish all six of those, we would be well on the way, okay? We would be producing some incredibly mature disciples if we're doing this well. Now, here's where we get into the assessment that we took last spring. See, the assessment was worded around those those six bold words you see there. It was around those six purposes, whether you know it or not. Now, some of you, I know, weren't here when we were taking that, but what happened was in the spring, we we took an assessment as a church called the Know Your Church Report. And what happened was we, we gave out the link to everybody in the church who wanted to. 71 people actually took the survey and completed it. If you're one of those 71, thank you very much. We greatly appreciate that. By the way, if you're worried about whether or not I was able to figure out who you were by looking at the data, I was not because they did not give us the raw data. All they did was give us the report that has the aggregate of all of it. So I have no idea who said what. What you were called to do in that survey was to be able to say from strongly disagree to strongly agree how you think the church is doing in a specific area. Like, I think our church teaches the Bible regularly. Strongly agree, strongly disagree, whatever. Um, uh, I, I like getting together with other people from church to fellowship. Strongly agree to strongly disagree. And so as we rank those together, we got a good picture of where we as a church may be. In fact, remember, this is not me ranking it, although I was one of the 71. This is our church family and what you said about where we are, okay? Clear on that? So now, let's look at the results. 
You could get much more granular than this. Um, I've got the full report. I, if you ever want to look at it, it's got some interesting stuff in it. But let me kind of run you through basically what we're doing. How many of you, by the way, hate charts? How many? Okay. All right, cool. Yeah, thank you for being honest. Um, for those of you who nerd out on data, there's a lot more we could get into on this. But basically, here's what you're looking at. Anything to the left of that unhealthy line, yeah, anything to the left of that unhealthy line is really bad, okay? If you fall below that line, we have serious major issues that need to be addressed immediately in any of these categories. Now, anything that's to the right of that healthy line means we're doing really well with that. There's room for growth, but at the same time, we're doing okay there. Now, look at our categories as you look through here. Worship, it's a little bit on the healthy side. That's a good thing. Now, I, I know that uh, we've got an amazing team that helps us with the corporate worship that takes place on Sunday mornings. There's areas and room for us to continue to grow. Because by the way, if you notice at the bottom, the scale only goes up to 80. It actually could go all the way to 100, right? Um, so we still have room to grow on our worship even. But then you look at everything else and you notice that it's kind of in that marginal area. And we may not be totally unhealthy, but we're also not doing great. The three areas where we're really not doing the greatest is evangelism, discipleship, and ministry. Okay? So evangelism, intentionally as a church, telling people about Jesus, both locally, nationally, internationally, wherever. Okay? Discipleship, helping people grow from having no idea who Jesus is to being patriarchs like Mike's talking about with stepping up. Men and women who are able to pour their lives into somebody and be able to reproduce what God's done in them in the life of somebody who's no idea. How does somebody go from having no clue who Jesus is? Because believe it or not, there are people in Christiansburg who don't know who Jesus is. And again, most of you raise your hand and haven't been in church your whole life. That may be difficult for you to fathom, but the reality is it is growing more and more all the time of people who don't know who Jesus is in this valley. So how do they go from not knowing who Jesus is, then they come to, to, to a saving knowledge of Jesus, then how do we help them to grow to the point where they could lead their own Sunday school, where they can go tell their coworkers about Jesus, where they can lead them to Christ? How do we help somebody do that? That's discipleship. Then ministry, how do we help our body be equipped? We've been talking about this equipped body. Well, how do we help you find a place to use your spiritual giftedness, to find a place to plug in and serve? I know some of you, that's been a real frustration point for you because you, you want to do something and it just hasn't worked and you've tried to contact people and it's just not been picked up. That frustration is because we're not doing great with that. So where are we going? Well, right now, we're not really going where we need to. See, if we don't get better at evangelism, get better at discipleship, get better at equipping folks for ministry, we're not really a church. Because see, the commission that Jesus gave was for us to go into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he had commanded us. That's Matthew 28, the Great Commission. If you don't have that passage memorized, you need to memorize it. Because that's our mission as a church. That's what we're called to do. That's why we're saying not just live like Jesus, but lead others to do the same. And if we're not, we're not really functioning as a church. I know that's harsh. I know that's hard. But that's where we are. So where are we going? Well, we want to be a church 
that is known for the fact that we live like Jesus and we lead others to do the same. So put those six purposes back up. We want to exalt God in worship. We want to evangelize the world. We want to equip the saints through discipleship. We want to edify others through ministry and service. We want to encounter God through prayer. We want to encourage one another through fellowship. How are we going to do that? Boy, that's a great question. Y'all are asking such good questions this morning. That's why our leaders are getting together next Sunday afternoon. You heard Mike mention we've got a leader meeting. We're inviting our deacons, our Sunday school teachers, our uh, ministry team leaders, like those who are in charge of our gender-specific or age-specific ministries. We're getting everybody into a room. And we're starting to really prayerfully look at, God, how do we do this? How do we strategically plan to be able to go from where we're not doing great with evangelism and discipleship and ministry to allow those to become strengths so that we're honoring God and becoming properly balanced. Properly balanced is something. How many of you guys have heard the phrase, never skip leg day? Okay. All right. You guys have seen that dude before. The dude who's got just these massive shoulders, this massive chest, and he's walking around on toothpick legs. It's the guy who goes and he does all the the workouts he can for his upper body, but he never works out his lower body. So he looks like really cool from the waist up, but from the waist down, he always wears baggy jeans because he never wants you to see that he's got these toothpicks. See, as a church, we've been skipping leg day. We've not focused on evangelism and discipleship and ministry like we need to. We've, We've got some key strengths. We've got some areas where we've seen God at work but we want to balance out our training a little bit. We want to balance out the way we use our time, the way we use our resources. So here's what's going to be happening, and and you'll hear more about this next week for uh, for those of you who are part of that leadership group. Um, We're going to be talking a little bit more in depth about where we believe God's calling us to go in our meeting next week. Uh, And then Tim Repass, who's a part of our leadership team, has a, a tool that he uses that he's going to help walk us through that's gonna help us set some strategic goals and some ways of us accomplishing that for especially these three areas of evangelism, discipleship, and ministry. Now, as we do that, everything we're doing, we're planning in pencil, okay? I want you to be real clear with that. We don't know what God will do, but as we prayerfully plan, and submit those plans to the Lord, we know he can guide the planning process just as well as he can guide the execution of it. So we're gonna spend some time looking, God, what is it that you want us to do as a church? How can we strengthen these areas? So what do you need to do if you're not a part of that group? Well, either way, if you're a part of that group, if you're not a part of that group, first thing you need to do is pray. You need to pray. The context in which God's allowing us to minister is much different and much more difficult than it was 20 years ago, especially 22 years ago. The world changed 21 years ago right about now. But ever since then, it keeps changing and keeps changing and keeps changing. And it's becoming challenging to figure out how do we engage this culture with the gospel. So pray that God would give us wisdom as to what his plans would look like, okay? Now, we're not wavering on the truth of the gospel. We're not wavering on the centrality of Scripture or the centrality of Christ. That's why we're united around Jesus. But how do we do that now? In a way that we see lost folks come to know him. We build the kingdom of God. So pray. Second thing is, 
Examine your own life. You remember when we were looking at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, it, it said that it was the proper functioning of each individual part that helped the body to grow, every supporting ligament. Okay, you guys, let's go ahead and own it. You've seen it, all right? I've had a thing on my eye for like two weeks. This week, it got real bad. Now, this is a very small portion of the overall body that I have, but it decided it didn't want to work right, and it's been an absolute pain. It has disrupted everything I've been trying to do for the last several days. Because when one part of the body's not working right, even if it's just a little part, it throws everything off. So here's the, the reality. We as a church can't exalt God in worship if you're not exalting God in worship. We as a church can't evangelize the world if you're not evangelizing the world. We can't equip the saints if you're not trying to be equipped, if you're not going through the discipleship process. We can't edify each other through ministry and service. We can't encounter God through prayer. We can't encourage one another through fellowship if you're not willing to do it. That's where God's calling us to go. So the first step may be for you to start saying, God, I need to figure that out. And in case you're wondering about the steps of that, let me remind you again of where we're headed from here. Each week, we're going to take one of these purposes, and the first week we look at it, I'm going to give you the biblical rationale for why that's a purpose for the church and what that looks like biblically. The second week we look at that purpose, we're going to actually take some time to do something practical, something like learning how to share your story, how to talk about the gospel, how to talk about what God's done in your life, or learning how to, a different tool for your prayer time. Uh, learning about how, what discipleship looks like. We're going to take some actual practical time during the service to be able to help equip you in these areas because that's where God's calling us to go and to be. Meanwhile, our, our leaders are going to be getting together. We're going to be praying through and trying to figure out how can we strategically reach these objectives that God's laid out in front of us in his word. Ah, see, I knew he was going to be one of those preachers. Yeah, he's just trying to build a big old church over there, isn't he? Not at all. This church may never grow beyond the size that it is. The goal in this whole process is that we would grow healthier and stronger as a body to be able to grow to that point of maturity in Christ. That each and every single person in this body would have that equipping that they need, that they'd be united around Jesus, that they would be living like him and leading others to do the same. And if God never sees fit to grow this church beyond 115 or so or whatever we've got this morning, then so be it. We're going to be the best church of 115 that God calls us to be. Not so we can sit there and thumb our noses at other churches, but because Jesus has called us and Jesus is worth it. Clear? That's where we're going. Another aspect for you as you're, you're thinking about this is uh, we have put together a reading plan to go along with this. It'll actually start after the next Sunday. But I'd encourage you to pick one up today. There's two different versions of the reading plan. Dottie Borisik was kind enough to put this together for us. And if you'll notice just on the inside cover of the booklet one, uh, you'll see that there's an overview. We have some single sheets that are just this overview. So if you like digging through the Bible and finding uh, the passages on your own, then grab one of the single sheet ones. If you're not as comfortable with the Bible and you would need a little help finding some of those passages, we actually printed off about 25 of these reading plans that are the full thing, including the text itself, okay? So it's got everything you need right there for you to be able to read through. 
And what you'll notice is every week, as we're going through these purposes of worship and prayer and fellowship and discipleship and all of that, you'll find three readings each week that have to do with that particular topic. Sometimes it's an example of somebody in scripture doing that thing. Sometimes it's where we draw, draw the teaching for that from. But any way you cut it, it's three different passages you can meditate on to say, God, here's where we want to honor you. What does it look like for us to worship? Okay? So what does it look like for us to pray? Just things to keep these on our minds as we go through the week. So as you look at it then, uh, that's our reading plan that we're going to be starting. Again, it'll start after this, this coming Sunday when we introduce the concept of worship. Then you'll notice, by the way, in case you get intimidated by the first few readings, the first few readings are longer than the rest of them, mostly because God is so good, it's hard to find short passages on worship. Like when you start worshiping, it just kind of turns into this overflow. So the first few weeks have a little bit more reading than some of the other weeks do. So don't be intimidated by that. But instead, take, this, take a copy of the book or take one of the handouts with you. Uh, they're out on the next steps table as you leave today and be able to follow along with God's word so that we can all grow together in this, okay? That's where we're going. Bow your heads with me and close your eyes. I want to give you just a moment there where you are to do business with God about what he said today. I know that today has been very much a kind of an insider message directed at those who are regularly a part of our church family or, or those who are Christians. If you're not here today, I hope that you understand that the whole reason we're doing all of this is because Jesus loved us so much that he would die on the cross and be raised from the dead so that we could have new life. That's why we want to live like him, not because we're trying to earn our salvation, but because he has saved us, and now we want to live that out, okay? So I, I hope that that's come across today, and if it hasn't, I, I apologize for that. But this morning, if you're not a, yet a Christian, would you call out to him and, and ask him to save you today? Because you can, and he will. Then today, if you're here, though, and you are a believer, was there one of these purposes that really jumped out at you that you said, man, I've just not been doing this? Was there something that God kind of put his finger on and said, you know, Sean, you really need to get better at that. You really have to, some room to grow there. Or was it for you more just an, an issue of looking at where we're at as a church and realizing, hey, we've got some room to grow. We've got some room to, to develop some balance and get stronger. What is it that God is calling you to do as a response to what he's already done? I'm gonna pray for it, and then I'm just gonna give you a minute to do business with God. You keep your head bowed and your eyes closed, and then I'll close this in just a minute. Father, as we come to you this morning, we recognize that there's a lot of ground we've covered today, and I know a lot of this has been introductory, but, but you have a purpose for your church. Again, from the outset of all this, we acknowledge this is your church. These are your people. This is not my church. This is not anybody's. This is yours because Jesus is the head. Father, we want to grow into the maturity that you've called us to grow into, to grow to the measure of Christ's fullness because you're worth it, because there's a world out there who needs to hear about how incredible you are. So God, as we begin this process, as we begin taking this look, would you break the highway hypnosis that we may have developed over the years of going to church? Would you give us wisdom and even now begin that process in our hearts? Would you help us to become a church in even greater ways who lives like Jesus and leads others to do the same? We thank you for all you have done.
all the ways you have sustained this expression of your body over the years, all the ways we've seen lives changed, all the ways we've been able to be involved with the Endow of Zimbabwe or with Ryan and Kelly there in Japan, with, with those who are across the street, with I think all the way back to the handful of folks in the room who could remember when we showed Frozen as a gospel outreach one night, the, the mission projects we've done, the, the tears that have been shed in prayer meetings together, the number of lessons that our Sunday school teachers have taught and small group leaders have taught and the phone calls from our deacons, all of these things that have already taken place to give us this foundation. We thank you for all of that. But we humbly acknowledge that, that as we look at the results of the assessment, we've got room to grow. We're not growing in every way into maturity in Christ. We're, we're not there. So God, would you give us wisdom about how your church should grow in evangelism, in discipleship, in ministry, in fellowship, in prayer, and in worship? Would you create health in our body? Would you be the one who oversees the strategic planning process and and all of those discussions? God, would you be a part of every single piece of this for your name and for your glory? God, would you strengthen your church We lay everything on the table and we confess that we want to go where you want us to go. We want to be who you want us to be. We want to do what you want us to do. We want to become an equipped body of believers who are united around Jesus, who live like him and lead others to do the same. So God, make it so through your spirit. Give us wisdom. Thank you again for this church family and all you're doing. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.